Romans chapter 8, verses 20 through 28 today. Great passage. We know, I will be reading out of the NIV 84 today. <clears throat> we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. We saw in our text last week, particularly verse 22, that all creation groans together in the pains of childbirth. Creation's in labor, and she can hardly wait for the delivery of God's children. All creation, animals and plants, perhaps even earth and atmosphere, longs for God's children to come into their own. If creation could speak, and maybe maybe it can, maybe it is speaking when owls hoot and coyotes cry and hurricanes scream. If creation could speak, it would say, what is taking you so long? Quit messing around and become real men and real women. We need you. All creation groans, longing for God's children to make their appearance. Our appearance as the children of God will be creation's delivery, the end of her pain, the beginning of her joys, our unveiling, our coming out party as God's children is what all creation longs for. So, of course... All things work together for our good. Our success is creation salvation. Have you ever said to yourself, maybe even to someone else, everything is against me. I feel like everything is against me. That is just the opposite of what Paul says here. And one of the Bible's best known and most incredible in the sense of hard, hardest to believe, verses, verse 28. He says that everything isn't against you, it's for you. If you belong to God because of your faith in Jesus, all things work for you. They're breaking their proverbial back to get you where you need to go. Now, it may not feel that way. It may feel like everything is against you sometimes. Just as the river is against you when you try to go upstream and for you when you try to go downstream, everything is against you when you're trying to get away from God. And everything is for you when you're headed for him. We'll think more about that in a couple minutes when we get to verse 28. First, though, we need to admit that it's often hard to believe that things are going to work together for our good. If we've lived very long at all, we are sadly acquainted 
with financial setbacks and tragedies and illnesses and conflicts and even death. Our delivery has not yet come. We must remember we live in the overlap, the period in which the age of present suffering is hanging on and the glory of the age to come has not fully arrived. It's that painful time when labor is fiercest, but it seems like no progress is being made. Now, Paul's just told us that creation groans in the pains of childbirth. But that's not the whole story. See, we groan too. This is verse 23. And not only that, not only does creation groan, but even those of us who have the first fruits of the Spirit, yes, even we groan in ourselves as we eagerly await adoption. We groan. We groan when our kids make bad choices, when our closest relationships break like China, when our retirement disappears or our doctor calls or our parents fail or our hopes fade. We groan. Living in the overlap can hurt. It can hurt like labor hurts. And there's no escape. You can't escape in success or in good health. Not even in religion. The only way out is to go all the way through. How can we, living in the overlap period, hold on to the truth that all things work together for good? How can we believe it when we hurt so badly that the pain of the present has driven all thought of the future out of our minds? I already mentioned that Romans 8.28 is one of the best known and most beloved verses in the Bible. But could it become, instead of the best known, the best lived? And instead of the most beloved, the most believed verses in the Bible? At least in our lives? I think it might. But how? How can we make that a reality? Left to ourselves, we can't. But here's the thing. We are not left to ourselves. We are not left to ourselves. That's just the point Paul wants to make. We are not left to ourselves to tough it out and pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. God has not left us alone. He has given us his spirit to help us. Jesus said it, I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. I will not leave you orphans. The spirit that is the fount of our present life and the power of our future resurrection, that was chapter 8, verse 11, is also the source and strength of our hope. And yet, even with the spirit, we still groan. Or maybe because of the spirit, we groan. Because we have the Spirit, we know there's more to life and feel our souls called to it the way the swallows are called to Capistrano. Because we have the Spirit, we long on the inside to become what we were designed to be. We hunger for it like a working man hungers for food. We wait for it eagerly, hungrily, longingly, sometimes almost in despair. But what is it? What is it that we're waiting for? It is what Paul calls the adoption in verse 23. Now, that, that's a little bit of a problem because back in verse 15, he used the same word to say that we've already received the spirit of adoption or sonship as the NIV has it. 
But if we've already received it, why are we still waiting for it? Because this is the overlap period. The already not yet time. The adoption process has begun, but it's not been finalized. We found out that we're wanted, that we're loved. We have a family and a father who loves us and has taken us in. And we have an elder brother who would give anything for us. Who in fact gave everything for us. But the process is not completed because we are not complete. We won't receive our full rights as sons until the redemption of our bodies. Paul's talking about the resurrection. See, Christian future hope in the Bible is never, I'm going to fly away and go off to heaven. It's, I'm going to be resurrected. I'm going to receive the full rights of sons. For now, verse 25, we wait for it patiently. I think another translation would be better. Waiting patiently sounds like we're twiddling our thumbs or we're reading a magazine. The word here is much stronger than that. We eagerly await. It's the same word that Paul used of creation. We eagerly await by perseverance. What's the opposite of eagerly awaiting by perseverance? It's always evading through distraction, which is something our culture has elevated to an art form. We must wait, and we have help as we persevere in waiting. The Spirit, this is verse 26, helps us in our weakness, or literally helps our weakness. What is our weakness? Our weakness is our inability to know what to do and where to go. To even know where we are in God's plans. As Paul says elsewhere, now we see through a glass darkly. That's the way it is in the overlap period. We can't see what's best. We don't know what to do and often don't know how to pray. And so the Spirit helps us. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. We don't know what to pray, so the Spirit helps us, intercedes for us according to the will of God. See, we don't conquer our weakness by our efforts or by our intelligence or by memorizing scripture. See, we don't conquer our weakness at all. Instead, God works through our weakness by his Spirit. And what comes next is still verse 26 is startling. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans. The creative spirit that brooded over the waters in the beginning. The spirit that gave life to us through rebirth and faith in Jesus. The divine spirit, the spirit of the almighty God, groans. God groans. God groans in his spirit. Not the groans of despair, but the groans of birth pangs. Now, let's put this larger passage, which began back in verse 18, into context. The present sufferings are birth pangs of the future glory. Remember last week? They're inseparable. Inseparable, but not comparable. All creation groans together, verse 22, in birth pangs. All creation. 
But within that creation is humankind. And within humankind are the Jesus kind. The people who have the spirit of God. And they also groan. That's verse 23. Creation groans, verse 22. We groan, verse 23. But even as we groan, we maintain hope that God will deliver us into the coming glory. We persevere because inside humankind, inside the Jesus kind, at the heart of the men and women who are at the heart of the creation, God himself groans in his spirit. The God from whom and through whom and to whom are all things groans. Frederick Faber was right when he prayed, Dear Lord, in all our loneliest pains, thou hast the largest share. And that which is unbearable, tis thine, not ours, to bear. Don't let anyone tell you that this God is far away and unconcerned. Don't believe for a second, as the ancient Greeks did, that this God is apathetic, that he doesn't care. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. When we groan under the sufferings of this present time, he groans with us. See, this is God with us in Jesus, God in us by the Spirit, and as we're going to see next week, God for us in all things. And let me say this before I go on. We don't deserve any of this. We haven't earned it, and we will never understand it. It is grace. If we could understand or deserve it, it wouldn't be grace. It is the touch of the God that we cannot understand and will never control, but that we can trust completely. Your highest and best thoughts of that God are further from reality than an infant's thoughts are of you. A little baby you hold in your arms can have truer thoughts about you than you can have of of God. That God is, and none of the limiting and qualifying terms used of us, creatures, can apply to him. That was A.W. Tozer. And so is this. God is so vastly wonderful, so utterly and completely delightful that he can, without anything other than himself, Meet and overflow the deepest needs of our total nature. Look at verse 27. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. God the heart searcher. One of God's titles, he's the heart searcher. The one who knows what our hearts really need, even when we don't, and knows what the Spirit is thinking, knows what to do for us, even when we do not. Once we grasp that, then we're ready to place verse 28 in its context. We have God the Son with us, God the Spirit in us, God the Father for us, and that's why all things work together for good for those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. That's the NIV marginal reading, which follows the King James and is the most straightforward reading of the Greek. And by the way, if you come to go deep, we're going to talk about that. Most 
more modern versions, um, insert the word God there and make him the subject, even though God is in this sentence, not the subject, but the direct object. But anyway, if you want to think through that, we'll talk about that. All things work together for good because all things work for God. All things are from him and through him and to him, and he is with us and in us and for us, and that's why all things work together for good. This is not Pollyanna brand of optimism rooted in the power of positive thinking. This is theological thinking rooted in the power of the vastly wonderful, utterly and completely delightful God who created all things to serve him. All things. That includes things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, thrones and powers and rulers and authorities, all the things that were created by him and for him serve him in our lives. All things, joys and sorrows, pains and pleasures, gains and losses, friends and enemies, all things. Okay, now understand, this is important. That all things work for good does not mean that all things are good. Poverty and racism and injustice are not good, and they never will be. But they can't stop God from doing good. Pain and sin and hatred are not good. But they'll never stop God from doing good. Sexual harassment and slavery and sickness is not good. But they can't stop God from doing good. Lies and treachery and betrayal are not good and they never will be. But they can't stop God from doing good. Disease and death and the devil are not good But even they can't stop God from doing good. There are lots of things that are not good in this world and in our lives. We live in the overlap. But there is nothing, nothing in heaven or on earth or under the earth, nothing in all creation that can stop God working good for his children. If there's something in your life that God cannot work for good, disease or disability or joblessness or conflict, then you have the wrong God. You need the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He makes all things work for good. How he does it, may be unknown and unknowable. That he's doing it may often be unseen, but it is never uncertain. We know all things work together for good. Now, if we stop there, we'll deceive ourselves. All things work together for good for those who love him. If you're not one of those people, then things will not work together for your good. If you cannot love God because you don't have the Spirit of God within you, all things will work against you, not for you. Even your pleasures will work against you. Your successes will work against you. The current of the whole universe will carry you where you don't want to go. All things work for good for those who love God. And only for those. 
as Francis Thompson has God say in his poem, The Hound of Heaven. All things betrayest thou who betrayest me. Romans 8.28 does not mean everything works out in the end. It means that God, the all-powerful, unstoppable, and incomprehensible, works on behalf of those who are his. If you're not his, you can become his by coming over to his side, trusting in his son Jesus and giving your life to him. Those aren't three separate things, but one thing. Faith in Jesus Christ, described from three different perspectives. If you're not his, I urge you to come over and join us. Paul goes on to describe those who love God as those who are called according to his purpose. They've joined his cause and are achieving his purpose. When Paul says all things work for good, it's God's purpose. That's the good he has in mind. The good of verse 28 is more than our comfort. All things do not work for our comfort. Have you noticed? I bet you have. The good of verse 28 is not our reputation. All things do not work for the good of our reputation. It's not our prosperity or our ease or our success. The good of verse 28, the good for which all things work is God's purpose, is stated in verse 29. The conformation of humanity to the image of Jesus. That's what God calls good. See, he's creating a new society, a new creation is what he calls it, in which everyone acts and thinks and loves and plays and is like Jesus. See, God is after nothing less than the reincarnation of his son in the lives of his people. He's bringing all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. See, it's not all about me becoming like Jesus. It's about a new creation. We're part of something big. All right, let's wrap this up. Let me make some observations. First, you and I couldn't be in a better position if we're aligned with God's purpose for us. If we're not, we couldn't be in a worse one. All things will work for us in the one case, but they'll work against us in the other. Put another way, if being like Jesus is what you choose for your good, Oh, God, whatever it takes, make me like Jesus. Everything that happens in your life will be used to attain that goal. Everything will serve you. But if you choose anything else for your good, financial security, health, reputation, comfort, ease, then your would-be servants will betray you in time and betray you repeatedly over the course of your life. And you'll say, why is everything against me? Everyone must decide what they'll pursue in life. What they will choose to be their good. Some people choose safety. Others choose style or good looks. Some opt for respect or control. But if you choose to be like Jesus, if that's the good you choose for your life, everything in the universe will serve you. Choose anything else, and you'll be going against the current of creation and the God who made it. Choose Jesus, 
And all things, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death, you can own your own death. They'll be yours. The present and the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Choose anything else, and nothing will be yours for long, including yourself. Another observation. This section of Romans could fall under two headings, groaning and glory. Paul doesn't try to hide the groaning. This is not religious triumphalism. In this chapter and the last, he's used words like evil and war and sin and death and weakness and pain to describe it. It hurts to live in the overlap. This is the time for groaning, for raising our voices in lament. This is the time when mothers don't want their babies that God has given them, when employers despise their workers and workers steal from their employers, when the earth suffers convulsions and buildings crumble on people, when hurricanes blow and children die, and and when warped and broken men kill and destroy. Paul doesn't hide from this reality, and he doesn't try to hide it from us. He says, we know that the whole creation groans right up till now. These are present sufferings. But our groans, like those of the Israelites when they were enslaved in Egypt, go up to God as prayers for deliverance, and he hears them. But groaning is not the last chapter in our story. It's not a proper chapter at all. Groaning is merely the prologue of our story. The rest is glory because God is the author. We know that the whole creation groans right up till now. And there's no sense in denying it. But we also know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And we mustn't forget what we know. But we must act on it. It's one thing to quote the verse. It's another to live it. If you've chosen Jesus and being like him for your good, then affirm that God will make things work together for your good, even the things you are groaning over right now. God will make it work for good. You don't need to know how he's going to do it. And frankly, if he explained it all to you, you probably still wouldn't understand. Don't wait to understand. Thank him now. He's got this. Reaffirm your choice of Christ and Christ's likeness as the good you seek. Claim even your current crisis for him and for his purpose. And see for yourself how God can work all things together for good. And let me say one more thing about that. It's often difficult to see in the moment. And that's why we need each other. When I'm the one going through the terrible struggles, I can't see it. And I need you to lead me by the hand into that truth. We need each other. All right, let's pray.